I can remember it like it happened yesterday. I was forced to stand and watch as it took place right in front of me. At the age of five, I was forced to watch as my then eight-year-old brother was swarmed and beaten up by a group of older bullies outside our school. Now, I tried to intervene, but hey, I was five. I was powerless against them. It's a moment I'll never forget. Now, I've often mentioned the challenge I had as a child growing up in the shadow of my older brother. He was a bodybuilder, an athlete, a hockey star. He was a legend in our city. Well, as I look back, although I've never spoken about this with him, I'm convinced that this moment had a deep emotional impact upon my older brother. Looking back, he would never again let himself be overpowered by another. Looking back, he would dedicate his life to being as strong as he could possibly be. Have you ever been bullied? Have you ever had someone who is stronger than you use their power, use their position to intimidate or dominate you? Bullies use their power to rob you, to steal from you, to manipulate you, to control you, to extort from you. Hey, it's a helpless feeling to be face-to-face with a bully. You feel hopeless. You, You feel fear. You feel frustration. You feel powerless because, in comparison, you are powerless. You feel like you have lost complete control in your life. History is littered with famous bullies. In the movies, Gaston from Beauty and the Beast is legendary, or Biff in Back to the Future. In sports, Mike Tyson was a legendary bully in the ring. He beat everybody up, knocked everybody out in the first round, it seemed. In the 70s, I grew up watching the Philadelphia Flyers. They were known as the Broad Street Bullies in the NHL. They beat their way to a Stanley Cup. In popular culture, we have the the mafia or motorcycle gangs who use terrorizing tactics to get their way. We've just seen in the global affairs, a military superpower invade a weaker neighbor. But do you know the greatest bully of all time? Looking over the long list of names in the Bullies Hall of Shame, the greatest bully of all time, and by greatest, I mean the worst, is the bully known as death. Death is a bully. Death is a power that has sought to dominate and intimidate humanity since the dawn of time. Death has terrorized us from the beginning when it crashed the Garden of Eden, chased Adam and Eve from their paradise on earth, and stole their future from them. Death is a bully, and death has been used by bullies for thousands of years. I mean, just using the threat of death is a tried and true bully tactic. Being threatened with death has led many a man or a woman to bow to the will of their oppressors, to say or do things that no other power was able to compel them to say or do. Death is a bully. And as a bully, death has long had the last word in life. What do I mean by that? What do I mean when I say that death has long had the last word? I've played a game for years since I was a young person, actually, if I'm in a crowd of people and there's applause and everyone's clapping, my wife can attest to this, I will always play the game of having to have the last clap. So everyone's clapping, and then when they stop, I do the last clap, and Jan will just nudge me like, stop. When you have the last clap, you win, is the game that I always played. Well, just like having the last clap means you win, having the last word means you win. 
Having the last word means having the final say. Having the last word means having the highest authority. Having the last word means you can't be topped. You can't be overpowered. Having the last word means having the ultimate trump card in your hand. When you have the last word, you are guaranteed to win. And death has long had the last word in life. Throughout history, death has held the power to silence the greatest and the most influential of our world. Throughout history, rulers have marched across the map, conquering and claiming, defeating and dominating everything in their path. From pharaohs to Caesars, from Alexander the Great to Genghis Khan to Stalin to Chairman Mao, voices that once moved armies were silenced by the one bully that was greater than them all. They had to bow to the bully known as death. They had to acknowledge the fact that death has the last word. But it wasn't just rulers. The greatest of human thinkers and the most creative of human minds have had to acknowledge that death has the last word. Whether it be Hemingway's grave in Idaho, Shakespeare's tomb in Stratford, Martin Luther King Jr.'s crypt in Atlanta, or Einstein's brain in a jar in Maryland, the evidence is there for all to see. Every poet, every dreamer, every thinker was forced to face the fact that death has the last word. Throughout history, the greatest gurus and most powerful prophets have had to acknowledge the same reality, whether it be the tomb of Muhammad in Medina or the grave of Confucius in Kifu. Even the loudest of religious voices have been silenced by this bully. Even the most authoritative of religious figures have been forced to face the fact that death has the last word. For all of these people, in spite of their influence, in spite of their intelligence, the one power that had the final say in their lives was the ultimate bully, death. For every person over every century who had ever walked the earth, death has had the last word. And then, onto the stage of human history stepped the man known as Jesus of Nazareth. The birth of Jesus was unusual. He wasn't conceived in the normal fashion with a man and woman coming together. No, for Jesus, he was conceived of the Holy Spirit in a supernatural way. And then angels even announced and attended his birth. The birth of, his, of Jesus was unusual. The, the life of Jesus was unusual. I mean, essentially for the first 30 years of his life, he was invisible. He was a normal a man living in Nazareth, the northern end of Galilee, uh, a, a no man's land. He was a carpenter till essentially he was 30. But then for the last three years of his life on earth, his life was incredible. He became a traveling rabbi. And he communicated in ways that were incredible. He taught with authority. He displayed incredible supernatural power. Miracles followed him everywhere. Crowds followed him everywhere. He made incredible claims. He made himself equal with God by his claims. His birth was unusual. His life was unusual. And then the death of Jesus was unusual. You see, the authority, the political authority that had him killed, 
acknowledged that he was innocent. The political ruler that had him sentenced to death washed his hands and said, I see nothing wrong with this man. But the crowds were against Jesus because of their jealousy. The religious rulers were against him because of their jealousy, because of his power. He intimidated them. He scared them. So, in spite of his innocence, Jesus was whipped, he was beaten, and then he was crucified. The Bible puts it this way. It says, they brought Jesus to the place called Golgotha, which means the place of the skull. And then they offered him wine mixed with myrrh. That's essentially pain medication. But he didn't take it. And they crucified him. Crucifixion was a particular form of death. It was the most gruesome means of death that the Romans could think of. It was a way of intimidating and dominating the crowds. What they did was, in a crucifixion, was you would have the person carry their cross to the place of their crucifixion. Then the individual, their hands would be nailed to the cross and their feet would be nailed. And then the cross would be lifted up in the air and placed into the ground. And that individual would hang there for hours, sometimes for days. And the person who died of crucifixion would essentially die of suffocation. Because as you're hanging down like this, you're constricted in your lungs. And you'd push up on the nails and pull up on the nails. And you try to breathe. And then you'd go up and down like this. And it would take hours and hours until they died a slow, painful death. And that's exactly what happened to Jesus. The Bible says in Mark chapter 15, with a loud cry, Jesus breathed his last. Once again, it appeared that death, the ultimate bully, had the last word. Imagine the darkness that would have filled the hearts of his followers. I mean, they had dared to believe his claims and be amazed at his deeds. But hope turned to hopelessness. Promise turned to defeat. Jesus was dead. Jesus was dead. So Jesus was buried. The Bible says, Joseph of Arimathea, a prominent member of the council, that's the religious council that tried to persecute Jesus, he himself was waiting for the kingdom of God, went boldly to Pilate, that's the Roman ruler who sentenced Jesus, and he asked for Jesus' body. Pilate was surprised to hear that Jesus was already dead, so summoning the centurion, that's the ruler, the the soldier in charge of Jesus' crucifixion, he asked the centurion if Jesus had already died. And when he learned from the centurion that it was so, he gave the body to Joseph. So Joseph bought some linen cloth, took down the body, wrapped it in the linen, and placed it in a tomb cut out of rock. And then he rolled a stone against the entrance of the tomb. Mary Magdalene and Mary, the mother of Joseph, saw where Jesus was laid. That's a terrible feeling to walk away from a grave, isn't it? A friend, a loved one that you've known well, you leave their body, their casket, and you turn and you walk away never to interact with them again. Well, imagine the sorrow and the confusion Jesus' followers felt that day. He had promised so much. They had hoped so much. Yet now he was dead. They turned and walked away from his grave. And then something happened. Something happened that forever changed the history of humanity. Listen to how the eyewitnesses described it 2,000 years ago. I'm quoting now from the scripture. After the Sabbath... At the dawn on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to look at the tomb. 
the tomb they'd turned and walked away from a couple days before. There was a violent earthquake, for an angel of the Lord came down from heaven and going to the tomb, rolled back the stone and sat on it. His appearance was like lightning, and his clothes were white as snow. The guards were so afraid of him that they shook and became like dead men. And the angel said to the women, Do not be afraid, for I know that you're looking for Jesus, who was crucified. But he's not here. He has risen, just as he said. Come, see the place where he lay. Then go quickly and tell his disciples, He has risen from the dead, and he's going ahead of you into Galilee. There you will see him. Now I've told you. So the women hurried away from the tomb, afraid yet filled with joy, and they ran to tell his disciples. Suddenly, Jesus met them. Greetings, he said. And they came to him, clasped his feet, and worshipped him. Jesus died. Jesus was buried. And Jesus rose from the grave. Jesus confronted and Jesus defeated the bully known as death. Have you ever watched a movie where the evil villain finally gets what's coming to him in the end? You know, the whole movie's built up as this evil man or woman does all these crude, terrible things. And the more the movie goes on, the more you hate this individual. You just want to reach through the screen and strangle the person yourself. You are so filled with anger and vengeance. And finally, at the end, this bad guy gets what's coming to them. And the feeling you have is relief and victory. And you walk out of that theater thinking, yes, justice has prevailed. Well, every story ever written of every hero that steps in to rescue the beaten and the bullied pales in comparison to the power of this moment. The moment when Jesus of Nazareth, God in the form of human flesh, defeated the enemy of every human being, the bully known as death. The Bible says, since the children, that's you and I, have flesh and blood, he too shared in their humanity, so that by his death, he might break the power of him who holds the power of death, that is the devil, and free those who all their lives were held in slavery by their fear of death. Like a prosecuting attorney, the devil was our accuser. He would stand against us and point his finger at us, and he'd point out all the sin, all the wrongdoing that we had done, and he would accuse us and accuse us. The Bible calls him the accuser of us all. And he would point out all the guilt and all the shame that we deserved. The Bible says, for the wages of sin is death. Just like you work for, you have a job perhaps, and you get wages. Your job pays you wages. Well, the Bible says the wages that sin pays us is death. And the enemy of our souls, the devil himself, would stand as our accuser. And he would say, you deserve death because we were addicted to sin. Sin ruled us. Sin brings death. The wages of sin is death. However, The Bible says this, it has now been revealed through the appearing of our Savior, Christ Jesus, who has, now look at this, destroyed death and has brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. Now, what's the word gospel mean? Our Savior, Christ Jesus, who has destroyed death and brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. That word gospel is an old English word. It literally means good news. 
Jesus has brought us good news. Well, what's the good news he's brought? Well, the Bible says, for the wages of sin is death, but I only quoted half that verse. The rest of that verse says, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. You see, yes, the wages that sin pays is death, but Jesus paid our moral debt. He came and he finally defeated the bully known as death. He defeated the bully known as sin that had dominated us. He paid the debt that we had accumulated in our lives. He died in our place. And now he offers us a share in his victory. He says, you deserve death. Jesus said, I myself was sinless. I didn't deserve death, but I died in your place. So I paid your debt. I paid your ransom. And now I'm offering you the gift of forgiveness and eternal life. The wages that sin pays is death, but the gift of God. See, you don't earn this gift. We did earn death but we don't earn eternal life. It's a gift. The gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ, in Jesus Christ our Lord. And so now the Bible says, death has been swallowed up in victory. Where, O death, is your victory? Where, O death, is your sting? But the writer says, and uh, the apostle Paul says, but thanks be to God. He gives us victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. So now, Jesus has the last word. Death has been defeated. The bully has been toppled. The enemy has been overthrown. The grave has lost its power. You say, yeah, Darren, but followers of Jesus still die. That's true. So so what exactly happens to believers when they die? Well, what happens is this. When we physically die, our soul separates from our body. So we become a disembodied soul. And that soul that is, a, that is trusted in Christ goes to be present with the Lord. To be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. And there, those disembodied souls of Christ followers are awaiting the reception of their new, immortal, incorruptible bodies that is going to come at the return of Jesus. Those souls will return to earth when Jesus returns, and those disembodied souls will then be re-embodied, if you will, with new, eternal, glorified bodies. You see, when you're a follower of Jesus and you receive his gift of forgiveness in eternal life, death is a comma. It's not a period. It's not the end. It's temporary. It's a speed bump. We have eternal existence in a new heaven and a new earth. And we will have eternal existence in a new heaven and a new earth in our new glorified bodies. That's why the Bible says we mourn, but we don't mourn like people who have no hope. Because of his resurrection, Jesus has the last word. Listen to what the Apostle Paul said in the Bible. Christ Jesus, who being in very nature God, didn't consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant being made in human likeness. And being found in appearance as a man, Jesus humbled himself by becoming obedient to death. Yeah, even death on a cross, even crucifixion. Therefore, God the Father exalted Jesus to the highest place, and look at this, and he gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow, in heaven, on earth, under the earth, and every tongue that should acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord, 
meaning ruler, to the glory of God the Father. Let me ask you this. What are you facing? What are you facing right now as you watch me? What situation, what what circumstance is pounding at the door of your mind? What does the bully look and sound like in your life? Does it take the form of fear? Maybe guilt. Maybe shame. Maybe regret. Maybe addiction. Maybe lust. Hear this truth today. Jesus Christ has the last word. God exalted Jesus to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, every name the bully could ever assume in your life, that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. Jesus Christ has risen from the dead. Jesus Christ has defeated every power known to humanity. Jesus Christ has risen from the dead. Jesus Christ has the highest authority. Jesus Christ has the final say. Jesus Christ cannot be overpowered. He cannot be overruled. Jesus Christ has the last word. He paid the price to cleanse your past. He holds the pen that will rewrite your future. And he is here right now to empower you in your present. So call upon him. Rest in him. Trust him. Maybe for some of you, for the very first time. Let's pray together as I conclude. God, I thank you for all that you've done on my behalf. We thank you for all that you've done on our behalf. You defeated the bully. You have the last word. You are victorious over sin. You're victorious over death. You're victorious over the grave. And you're gracious enough and merciful enough to share your victory with us. We don't deserve it. I don't deserve it. It's a gift. But I receive it. And I dwell in it. And I live in that hope. Thank you for the victory. Help me to apply that victory to every area of my life to trust you, the smallest detail to the greatest detail in my life. Right now, Lord, I choose to trust you. In the midst of all the circumstances of my life, all that's swirling around in my heart and life, all the voices and and, and the masks that that bully tries to assume in my life, I stare them down right now, not by my power, but with your voice and with your victory and with your power. I declare to every circumstance, Jesus, Christ is Lord. He has the last word. And maybe you're watching me right now and you've never actually accepted this gift of forgiveness and eternal life. I want to give you an opportunity to do that right now. Maybe for the first time to accept this gift of cleansing and forgiveness, to apply the life, death, and resurrection power of Jesus to your life. Just pray this with me. Silently, out loud, doesn't matter. Just agree with me as I pray on your behalf. Let's pray together. God, I don't claim to understand it all, but I do understand my own predicament and my own life. And from what I've heard today, I choose to accept and believe and to step out in faith and trust. I trust what you did, Jesus, on my behalf. I accept your gift of forgiveness and eternal life. So come and live within me by your spirit. Change me from the inside out. Transform me. Defeat the enemy in my life. 
Move my life into your image, day by day, moment by moment from this day forward. Now, I know I'm not gonna be perfect and sinless from the, the moment after I, I say amen, but I do know that from this moment forward, your spirit dwells within me and you're gonna to begin to transform me. And as I confess my sin, you'll be faithful and just to forgive me and cleanse me moment by moment. And God, would you give me the courage to tell somebody about this decision? even before my head hits the pillow this evening. In Jesus' name I pray, the highest name in the universe, amen. Now, if you prayed that prayer with me, on the screen right now, there's a number. You can text that number and someone will help you take the next step in your life. Now, don't worry, you're not joining Broadway Church. You're not gonna be put on a mailing list. We're not gonna harass you, but we would love to help you take the next step in your journey as you trust in Jesus Christ. Thank you for being with us today. And I pray a happy and a joyful Resurrection Sunday in your life. God bless you. Thank you for being with us at Broadway Church today.